DKS 37 is powered by Cliff Central, uncensored, unhinged, and unradio. Hello and welcome to the Digital Kung Fu Show, the podcast and videocast for startup founders and entrepreneurs. Even if you're alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs across the world hustling today's markets. At Digital Kung Fu, we have one goal, to help entrepreneurs succeed in their ventures through information sharing, digitally connecting them with other entrepreneurs, and by dissecting and deconstructing the world's leading business minds right here on this show. Remember, you can view the full show notes on our website at digitalkungfu.co. .za or tweet this show using our handle at Digital Kung Fu ZA or follow us on Facebook.com slash Digital Kung Fu ZA. Hey guys, so the world today produces more information in a single day than we have ever produced in our entire history. A subset of that data lies firmly in the social media space and it is often called social media analytics. Social media is of course a critical component of digital marketing today, and its importance to entrepreneurs cannot be overstated enough. However, the majority of entrepreneurs who launch their businesses into the social media space have very little idea on how to actually work with data in terms of managing and marketing their brand, and even fewer are familiar with the kinds of tools that are available to help manage what I call the modern social brand in a digitally enabled economy. So I reached out to Mike Ronsky. He's a serial entrepreneur and the founder of numerous companies to boot. But one of those stands out in the social media analytics space, and that company is called Fuseware. He built the company from the ground up and then at the tender age of 29, sold it on to one of South Africa's leading data intelligence companies called Ornico for an undisclosed sum. Mike is listed in the top 200 young South Africans by Mail and Guardian and in the media's top 40 under 40 for the last two years running, and he is currently leading the IAB South Africa's Committee on Digital Measurement to enhance the standards of digital reporting and measurement in South Africa. Mike also co-manages the annual release of South Africa's official social media landscape report with technologist Arthur Goldstack, who's also been on the show, and this report really is a must-read for any entrepreneur with a play in South Africa. Oh, and pay particular attention to the part of the show where we talk about the difference between living your passion and living your purpose as an entrepreneur. So without further ado, enter Mike Ronsky. How's it, guys? And welcome to the 37th installment of the Digital Kung Fu Show. I'm your host, Matt Brown. Uh, hopefully, at this stage, if you've been following the podcast, I don't need no in- introduction. <laughs> but um, I'm stoked to have with me today in the Cliff Central studio is the serial entrepreneur, Mike Ronsky. So, Mike, thank you for your time today. It's great to have you in the hot seat. How's it, Matt? Uh, it's great to be on the show. Cool, man. So who, is, who are you? Who is Mike Ronsky? And uh, maybe you can share with us some of your headlines around your entrepreneurial journey today. Wow. Where do I start? Eh? <laughs> well, I can go all the way back to primary school where I was selling bubble gum to, uh, to the kids. But uh, let's, <laughs> let's fast forward a few years to Fuseware. I started okay. that in about 2009, 2010. Uh, it was social analytics. Uh, basically, I saw a huge opportunity there as social media was, was experiencing rapid growth worldwide. And I saw an opportunity for brands to connect more authentic to their customers by understanding what the customers are saying on social media. And uh, Fuseware was born. And, you know, after quite a few hiccups and challenges and mistakes along the way, I eventually grew the business to a level where it could be exited. Uh, and obviously, I did sell Fuseware in, uh, I think it 
think it was 2015. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And uh, took a bit of a sabbatical, uh, you know. As you do. As you do. You Flash. Know, <laughs> after four or five tough years slogging it out, you you got to take a break. You know, entrepreneurship is, is about balance at the end of the day, I think. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, just explored what new opportunities were out there. And then um, something called me to, to the bespoke development space. Um, so this whole year, we've basically been building uh, bespoke experiences for, for, for brands, okay. specifically in the mobile space, uh, but also back-end software, um, you know, custom websites, that sort of thing. And that's Digital Flow, right? That's Digital Flow, right. And that's, that's my current initiative right now. Cool. Well, let's um, chat about the obvious here. <laughs> You've been sure. included in South Africa's top 40 under 40 for the last two years running. And I just wanted to ask you, are you going to make it a three, a three, year in, three years in a row? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's top 40 under 40 in media. So... The thing is, I'm diversifying away from just media, so I don't know if they'll invite me back onto the list since I'm not running Fuseware anymore. I think Fuseware was my vehicle that, that gave me that, uh, that sort of popularity. Um, I think, I think if, if I, um, stay within the media space and I'm, I'm looking at startups that I could launch within the media and marketing space, um, uh, I think I'll be able to retain that sort of list. Uh, but, you know, really at the end of the day, it's, you know, what are the opportunities out there? Where, you know, where, where can I add the most value in the market and, you know, help brands, help customers, you know, connect the unconnected. Okay. Um, and cool. yeah. Awesome. So yeah, let's jump straight into Fuseware. So you founded that back in December, 2009, somewhere around there. <laughs> <laughs> Records do differ if you uh, do some research or chat. I don't even think you remembered exactly when. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I was working for a company until the end of 2009, and then I, I kind of jumped ship. And uh, I started the business informally in my personal capacity in January. Brave. And uh, it, it wasn't only un, until June 2010 that I, I remember in June I started a business bank account for the first time. And remember, th this was the first time I'd ever run a business. So, you know, I was new to the whole tax thing, um, uh, basically uh, registering a PTY, you know, registering a new uh, PTY bank account, understanding all the regulatory requirements around that. It was it was a very, very steep learning curve. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I didn't really have a mentor at the time. That was one of my, I, I would say, uh, what I should have done better in that first year was to seek uh, a mentor and, and uh, you know, a business coach. Uh, but, you know, I learned the hard way. Uh, so at the end of the day, I still learned the same things. It just took a bit longer. Uh, <laughs> School of hard knocks, eh? <laughs> but yeah, that, that first year was tumultuous, hey? You know, you start out and you just, you hustle. You, mm. you just need the money, basically. Because mm. if you run out of money, you go get a job. That's, that's yeah. how it works in the first few key. months. And, you know, I'd saved a couple, a couple of grand from my pre previous job. So I could sustain myself for a couple of months. But, you know, the, the money runs out very quickly when you start, when you start a business without much planning. Yeah. As I did, uh, but you know, in those first few months, basically, I did anything I could. You know, um, basically everything from creating websites to you know custom reporting for companies. Um, I even did something along the lines of uh, my own PR campaign. I didn't really realize it was PR at the time, but I, I was the guy that wrote the uh, first report on Twitter in South Africa for free. Uh, you can still find it somewhere online if you search for it, but basically it was like a five-page document I just published uh, based on my, my little research that I, that I wrote up on Twitter use in, in South Africa. And it was something like Gareth Cliff was the most followed celebrity 
celebrity. Uh, Eskom was the most talked about brand. You know, here are the top followed users. And up until that point, that research was not available worldwide. Okay. So all of a sudden it went viral. I had marketers contacting me, brands contacting me. Um, and that scored me my first huge deal with, with Nokia. And they wanted a, you know, a hundred page research report on social. Um, and that kickstarted my business basically. So, you know, a bit of grit, but a, a lot of luck and a lot of perseverance. You know, that's, that, that was my first year. Alrighty. You got to love the hustle, right? You got to love the hustle, man. Okay. Sweet. So let's, um, talk about Fuseway. So you're playing in the social media analytics space. Hmm. And, um, what I find interesting is that at the time there were already more established players in the market. For instance, you had Brands Eye. And then, of course, you have your international products like Lithium. Sorry, not Lithium. Radiant 6 was one. Synthesia is another. And so when you look at that sort of competitive landscape, and we were talking just before uh, we actually started recording, but you actually built the actual tech yourself and it was all proprietary, proprietary technology. Mm-hmm. And that for me is just, holy shit, you've got to really got to have a big pair of balls to really pull <laughs> one, pull that off, build something that really works. And three, be able to actually, you know, deploy that in a market that's already highly competitive. Yeah, look, it was, it was a challenge from day one. And every single day, I, I would think, you know, maybe it's better just to license a product in the bit, in the beginning. Because, you know, one of my key competitors back then, besides brands, I was, was Meltwater. And the local yeah. Meltwater guys, they were just licensing the global product. And all they did was they built up a sales team and, you know, they were, they were rolling in the money, but, uh, you know, it wasn't really building value in the business. Didn't they go bankrupt? Um, well, I know they're still running and they've still got South Africa rep- representation. So, oh, who am I thinking about? But uh, there, were, there, there, were, there were quite a few there companies few, that yeah. fell over over the years. Yeah, so social yeah. analytics is a very difficult space. I would say my key differentiating factor was was the fact that I didn't just offer a platform, um, you know, an online platform. I, I offered a sort of a whole smorgasbord of of services and products around social analytics. So. Uh, for example, my partnership with Arthur Goldstuck and Terry Murphy, uh, you know, through that partnership, we could uh, publish the annual social media landscape report and we ran events around that. Um, so the research tied into the events, the events tied into the research, um, and that also fueled sales of the uh, the online software. So it, it was really just a, you know, across the board solution to help brands understand customers. Mm. Uh, that, that was the challenge that I that I'd been presented with and I wanted to solve. And, you know, there's many ways of doing that and for me it was it was about offering more than any other competitor could right um, and the way to do that I, I believe was through the, the unique partnerships that I developed over the years um, which served me very well um, and also uh, through providing as much value as you possibly can you know a lot of companies especially the c-suite executives in those companies they don't want another report they don't want another dashboard they want solutions um, so you know, I became the face of the company. Uh, very few companies have a face. Um, and, you know, there's pros and cons to being a face because, you know, A, you get out there in the media a lot more um, and you build a brand for yourself. But also it's, it make, makes it much more difficult to sell the business as well because you're so tied in. Um, so, you know, it was, it, was, it was something that I had to really think carefully about over the years. Mm-hmm. But it helped me become sort of this uh, thought leader, if you will. Uh, you know, I don't like using that word, but, uh, you know, it enabled me to, you know, provide a lot of my strategic insights to the market and to the executives that I've dealt with. The other companies don't really do that. They, they hire, you know, 12 grand a month analysts to write up a summary on their reports. Yeah. Um, so I operated on another level, but it was very difficult decoupling myself from the business. Mm. How did you negotiate that? 
when you exited and sold the fuse away to Ornico in the end. Right. So Aresti and I go way back, hey? <laughs> Who's Aresti? Uh, he's the CEO of uh, Ornico Group. Okay. Uh, the, the guys that bought me out eventually. Um, and we'd known each other for many years. You know, we did business together um, here and there, basically on certain projects. And, you know, eventually it got to the point where, you know, I realized the, the big guys were coming in with, with muscle. You know, the guys like, you know, Radiant 6 and Crimson Hexagon, uh, they were going into Africa full on in the next couple of years uh, with $100 million of funding. Um, and pretty soon my differentiating factor would, would be eroded. So what was the one thing that I could do to solidify that in the market? And I realized that a partnership with a company that provides unique data and insights that nobody else has was the key. And what Onico Group does is they, they monitor print media and broadcast media across Africa. And none of those social media monitoring providers do that. Yeah. If, if they do, they buy it from Ornico. So Ornico is the source of that data. So it made sense for Ornico to, Ornico to go to the social space. It made sense for me to uh, provide a USP in the sense of getting data from the non-social space. Um, and so it was a natural fit from the beginning. Um, how we exited, honestly, I just had a breakfast with the guy and <laughs> we chatted about it for about 30 minutes and we both said, yeah, let's do it. Due diligence <laughs> took probably about a month uh, and then the deal was closed. It was, you know, it was... It was very easy, to be honest. Really? Um, it was very easy, mainly because we'd known each other for years. The trust was there. The relationship was there. Um, and that is so important in business. You know, there's so many people out there that, that will try to you if you don't know them. And, you know, I've, I've been through a lot of business failures. A lot of people have tried screwing me over. Um, I won't mention any names. <laughs> I've had great partnerships and I've had really cuck partnerships too. Yeah. But that's just the nature of the game, you know. Absolutely. So, so the value of relationships in business cannot be discounted. If there was one piece of advice you would give to other entrepreneurs, who have an established player and are looking to exit um, and maybe they've got a couple of you know short list of potential buyers for their company lined up um, what advice would you give to them uh, in that situation well um, if, if you're at the point where you're already profitable um, and you have an exit strategy, then you know most of the work is done. The problem is a lot of entrepreneurs never get to that point. They start a business and they might even find product market fit. But without an exit strategy, it'll be very difficult to, to exit at the end of the day. Most of the money that, that you make as an entrepreneur is when you exit. You know, when you're running the business, even if you're, you're cashing it in, you know, chances are you're reinvesting that money to grow the business. Um, so you only really... Uh, finally get it at the very end, you know, when you, when you exit. So the exit strategy is so important from day one. You need to absolutely think about that. Um, so you need a business that is exitable. Um, and for that, you, you obviously need a business that, uh, A, has unique IP, unique assets, some kind of unique, uh, what, what a lot of people call a defensible, a defensible market position where, you know, a big corporate can't just muscle you out with money. Um, you know, you've got some kind of unfair advantage. Um, and this, this can be any kind of advantage. Uh, for example, you could have a unique, uh, unique IP in, in terms of tech or software. Which or is what you had. I had that. Um, you, you can have unique knowledge that nobody else has. Um, a, a unique idea that, Nobody else can really replicate easily unique relationships or partnerships, you know. Um, for example, uh, if, if you have connections with, with certain corporates or government entities, uh, you know, you can lock down three, five, ten-year agreements with them. And it's very hard for anyone to get in there and, and override those agreements. So in any business, you need – to have a defensible market position. That's, mm. that's what investors look for. Mm. Um, and that's what, that's what people that buy your company look for. They, they want an entity that they see 
they they can they can take and they can grow tenfold over the next ten years. That's you know that's the most important thing. So, like for entrepreneurs that are looking to sell, you know you have to look at what would the buyer want you know to do with your company. A buyer doesn't just want extra cash flow at you know three or four times um, uh, profitability. They they want to take that company and make it ten or a hundredfold bigger mm. through the synergies in their existing business. So you have to think which company would ideally suit that. Um, and it doesn't have to be in South Africa. It could be. It could be anywhere in the world. Yeah. You know. Were you always clear from an exit strategy perspective that Ornico was your buyer? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can't literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Um, there's very few companies that could potentially buy a company like Fuseware um, in South Africa. I, I was looking at international buyers, uh, but the regulations and red tape around that and, and the timelines uh, were incredibly long. And also, I didn't have those relationships in, for example, the American markets. Uh, locally, you know, social analytics, there, there, there have not been many social analytics acquisitions in Africa at all. I uh, think you're probably the only one. I may be the only one. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, most of the other companies either go broke over time. There's a couple of that have, that have gone broke. I mean, said what was, was one That's of them. That's the one um, that I was thinking about. I was thinking about that. Yeah. So said what fell over. There, there were a couple of others. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult game to play in because the, the pitch is difficult. You know, if, if someone doesn't understand what you're selling, they'll never buy into it. Uh-huh. And it's a very technical product that you're selling. Um, and also there's so many competitors all the way down to like the $5 a month, uh, you know, topsy type competitors in the U S which you're competing with. Yeah. So it's a, it's Facebook a was actually a competitor of yours. True. Yeah. In well, some respects. Absolutely. And it's, that was one of the key challenges in, in social analytics because the social networks themselves see value in analytics and eventually they'll be providing more and more of that and closing off the data pipelines to the social analytics companies. So it's, it's, uh, it's difficult. Cool. It's a highly challenging industry. Yeah. Let's demystify what we mean by social media analytics because I guarantee you there's going to be a few people who just won't have a fucking clue what we're talking about. <laughs> well, it is quite scary once you get to know it. <laughs> cool. So uh, well, let's unpack that. Can you give us a couple of examples about what we mean by um, social analytics and maybe touch on what the implications are for entrepreneurs? Right. Okay. So… Basically, social media is a worldwide phenomenon, um, and it just so happens that most social media posts are public. And because they're public, any company, 
Anyone in the world can can view those posts, right? So there's companies like like my old company Fuseware that scan millions and millions and millions of these posts and aggregate them and analyze them for interesting uh, insights and sentiment, specifically around things like like company related stuff because that's what companies mm. pay for. So let's give an example. Like let's say um, Samsung was launching a new uh, mobile device brand. They they could do very expensive market research, um, you know, get uh, customer focus groups and polls uh, to figure out, you know, what features people really want. Or they can go to social media and analyze a million posts mentioning the brand Samsung and their phones to see, you know, what, what features people are talking about the most and the sentiment towards those features. And this is all automated analysis of millions of posts. Obviously, it can be more nefarious because a lot of politicians want to know what people think about them. And social media is wide open when it comes to that. Um, and... You know, there's so many ways of, of getting access to to uh, data on people, um, and people willingly give it up. I, I don't think a lot of people understand how public their data really is. I agree. Um, and you know, it's very important to to lock down your privacy. I'm I'm a big advocate for for privacy, uh, but a lot of social networks by default have no privacy. You know, Twitter for one, everything is completely public. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've seen all the, all the problems this has caused many, pre- many people, you know, when they tweet without thinking. Uh, but from a corporate perspective, you know, that's where the insights are as well because your audience is there. They're talking about everything. Uh, and there's, you know, there's a lot of insight to be gleaned when, when you have a powerful piece of software and a smart guy behind it uh, analyzing that and understanding where the connections lie, where yeah. the opportunities lie. Yes. So I suppose mm. it's, there's probably two things there. One is that it's really about brand reputation. Mm. So if you're an entrepreneur, with a particular brand, doesn't matter how big or small it is, you can use this data to effectively get insights into how does the public, the whole public, not necessarily just your customers, uh, but how do they feel about your brand? Are they positive? Are they negative? Um, and also, what to your point around the Samsung um, insight there, which is all around identifying uh, feature sets to deploy. So it's an R&D cost saving, right? Correct. And it's almost like using data to introduce a um, Eric Reese's uh, methodology, the Lean mm-hmm. Startup, where it's all about validating mm-hmm. what you take to market before you actually take it to market. Because there's nothing like deploying something and then nobody uses it. Yeah. No, absolutely. And uh, let's not forget, after you deploy it, you keep monitoring and you get live real-time feedback from customers that are either complaining or praising uh, your, your product or your business. Cool. So with that Lean Startup methodology, you do continuous integration, con- continuous iteration of, of what you're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, for, for entrepreneurs, look, they might not always have a business that's big enough uh, that, that warrants expensive social media analysis tools. Uh, but guess what? They'll be in an industry that's big enough. You know, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll have competitors that are big enough. So, you know, even if, if your name doesn't appear on social very often, if you get a hundred tweets a month, um, you know, what product are you selling that everyone's talking about? Uh, what industry are you in that everyone's talking about? There will be mentions there that are, that are worth a lot of, uh, a lot of valuable insights. You yeah. Know? Everyone's talking about data. Uh, I'm sure you agree. Big it's the data. new oil. Yeah, exactly. But for me, there's an analogy that, um, that I heard, which I really love, which is uh, 
data or big data is very much like teenage sex. <laughs> Everyone's talking about it, but no one's actually doing it right. Mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's true because it really takes uh, a very specific skill set to really understand different data sets and then to say, what can you do with it? So it's almost the mm. translation. It's service design, actually. Mm. And it's the translation of specific data sets into um, a digital interface or experience that will ultimately differentiate the brand or the business in this case. And so um, let's try and dumb this down uh, because there are so many things that you can measure, right? Yeah. So in your experience, what are the foundational elements that any entrepreneur should be measuring uh, when they – uh, go into the social space and obviously we, we've moved I think a long way away from vanity metrics like likes mm. yeah no absolutely look for entrepreneurs money is the bottom line let's let's not kid ourselves here if you run out of money you close shop and you get a job <laughs> again <laughs> I say this um, so you know as, as much as you want to do CSI initiatives and help and you know build build communities and all that um, and, and your business should do good at the end of the day if you run out of money, you're screwed. So all your metrics should really connect in some way to your business outcomes. Um, and there's, there's this brilliant set of documents called the AMEC uh, Measurement Principles. Uh, it's a global set of guidelines for how you measure uh, reputation online and how you connect that back to business outcomes. So in the beginning, people just measured outputs, things like uh, number of likes. You know, number of shares, number of comments. Business outcomes are more tied to, towards what you're trying to achieve, your business goals. And it's not always easy to connect that. Uh, and it's not always possible, you know, despite what, what many people say. It's, it's, it can be quite challenging. But I'll give you an example. Um, you know, these days it's, it's fairly easy to uh, understand your, your, the people that are visiting your website and entering their contact details into a form. And sending that through to you. And through the right tracking software, you can connect that back to social media. You can connect that back to advertising campaigns. And you, you can have basically what they call end-to-end -end attribution. So, you know, if you get a 1,000 leads on your website and 10 of them or let's say 100 of them convert to customers, you can figure out that, okay, 35 of them came from this particular Facebook post that I wrote. Um, so I must be doing something right there. So if you have the software set up, set up in the right way that's measuring your business outcome, which might be uh, qualified leads or sales, uh, you can tie that back to the source of the, of the leads, the original source, which might be social, socially oriented. It could also be from, for example, an SMS campaign or a Google AdWords campaign. Uh, even a, phone, uh, a telephone campaign could work if you know how to connect the data in the right way. Yep. And once you do that, you can opt optimize and grow and scale. If, if one Facebook post you know, attributed to most of your, your new leads, then you do more of what's working, right? And then you spend more money on that particular type of, uh, of, of advertising or a type of content. Um, but again, this, this does require someone that's smart enough to understand how to connect it and also how to interpret it. You know, so what if one Facebook post led, led to so many leads? What about it made it so successful? And that's where the subjectivity of, of analysis comes in, where you know, there, there could be multiple different reasons why something worked or didn't. And that, that almost goes into the realm of psychology, right? Mm. Um, so there's no easy answer to this. Um, and there's often many different people that are required uh, in terms of skill sets. And that's why a lot of companies struggle with it because, A, they don't have enough money to invest in teams of, of people. 
Um, and also South Africa is quite small. You know, there's not, there's not that many people with these high end skills that are, that are available here. Uh, you know, when it comes to interpreting data, you need someone that's technically minded enough to understand how it works on the database level even. Um, and then someone that can also translate that back into business insights and then, you know, connect that back to business strategy. It's, it's difficult, you know. But I think entrepreneurs need to actually upskill themselves about data, about interpretation of data. Uh, it's one of those critical skill sets of, of this new age that we live in. Yeah. If you don't have it, it's pretty much like, you know, not being able to drive a car a couple of decades ago. You, you, you're stunted. Yeah. You absolutely need to do it. Uh-huh. When should entrepreneurs consider outsourcing this kind of strategic evaluation of their businesses? I would say never. I really don't like consultants. Honestly, I've dealt with lots of consultants and I've been a consultant myself. You know, I try to add value as much as I can. <laughs> well, I'm charging 600 Rand an hour here, by the way. So. Um, but honestly, when it comes to something that's a core function of your business, you need to take ownership of that. Nobody else will do it for you. Everybody else honestly has their own agenda. They're, they're pushing their own uh, product, their own service, um, and their own businesses. So at the end of the day, the only person that can, you know, optimize your own business strategy is you as, as, as the entrepreneur. And that's what makes business so difficult, man, because, you know, those kind of, kinds of decisions are tough. They often require years of experience or an MBA behind you. A lot of people don't have that. I don't have an MBA. Um, so I had to learn the hard way by just doing it and hustling for many years. Yeah. But eventually you, you get somewhere where something clicks or you get really lucky, you know, like you build the next Snapchat. You know, those are high school kids that still don't know what they're doing, but hey, they, they got a, you know, billion dollar product. Uh, but you know, that's, that's one in a million. Um, most of the time it's, it's just a school of hard knocks. Hey, I, I I wouldn't actually rely on any kind of, uh, outsourced or third party, uh, advice when it comes to business strategy. Uh, the exception is, for example, business coaching and business mentorship, but those aren't the guys that will say, this is exactly what you need to do. You know, the role of a coach or a mentor is to help you understand how best to make decisions in your business. Mm. They're, they're not there to tell you what to do. They're not a teacher. You know, they don't, they're, they're not there to, you know, give you step A, then B, then C. They're not on your board. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we touched on, you know, content, uh, videos that may or may not be working. Um, how do you evaluate all those things? And so when you look back at social media and just the digital ecosystem holistically, uh, it feels to me that we're very much living in the attention economy or the attention deficit economy, one mm-hmm. could argue. And so it's very difficult, one, to get attention if you don't really know what you're doing. And, but like you said, you might get lucky. And if you do get lucky and or if you have the appropriate skill set to really know your audience and actually what to do from a content marketing perspective, even then, it becomes harder to hold on to the attention of your of your target buyer. So how do entrepreneurs break through the clutter on platforms like social oh, – sorry, on like platforms uh, uh, like Facebook and Instagram? Right, so right. Well, um, you know, to quote Seth Godin, you, you have to be absolutely remarkable in, in at least one thing. You know, you have to stand out. You have to be, you have to provide something that's, that's so beyond what people expect that they can't help but, you know, keep you on top of their minds and, and share you with their friends, basically. You know, um, at the end of the day, it's, it, it's all about how, how a company can make the best possible impression in the least amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, we live in a world where, you know, videos have, have, 
you know, are, are now in the order of seconds long. And even that's maybe too long for a lot of kids that just don't have the attention spans to watch the whole damn thing. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe there'll be a Vine for one second videos in the future and that'll be good enough. Uh, so it's, it's all about capturing attention and, and making yourself remarkable, absolutely remarkable in one thing. And, you know, we see this, you know, like, uh, you know, not to punt myself, but like, like, like the Celsius reality thing. Um, it's, you know, it's an app where Celsius has decided to, you know, foray into the content space and create a, a remarkable new reality show. Uh, that pe- people are talking about it. It's, mm. it, it's gotten tens of thousands of shares. Um, Please explain a bit more. I know we were chatting before right, right. we started recording, but go ahead and, uh, do your punting. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, it's an example, but you know, there's many out there where you know, a brand needs to say, okay, how do we not do business as usual today? How do we… Disrupt effectively, right? How do we disrupt ourselves, um, especially in terms of our customers' experience of us? You know? uh, and every touch point the customer has with, with a product in a company is a, pot- a potential experience. You know? um, so you know, if, you, if you run a coffee shop… The touch points are everywhere from the moment the guy gets into the door, the moment he opens that door handle to the moment he, you know, leaves a tip for the waiter and starts leaving. All those are experienced touch points that have opportunities to become remarkable for the customer. And that's what people want these days. They, they want to be wowed. Uh, you know, that's why you have all these funky hipster type shops everywhere, uh, from retail to, you know, health and fitness to, you know, coffee shops to restaurants. All, all those. Uh, shops are not run of the mill like they used to be decades ago. The, every shop is trying to be different, trying to wow their customers, creating new novel experiences. Um, and that's what gets people talking and sharing on social media. That, that's what generates that word of mouth. But it's very difficult, you know, because you're always trying to sort of one-up the competition who's trying to be equally remarkable. But you have to find your own niche. Uh, back to Celsius Reality. Uh, basically, Celsius is foraying into, into the content space. Uh, so they've, they've partnered with, uh, with us, Digital Flow, as well as a production company, Blink Pictures. And together, we've, we've formed like a trifecta of, uh, <laughs> of, of like a, a superhero team of people that, that have, have put together the next big reality show in South Africa. So how does it work? It's called, it's called Break the Net and it's all about finding the next big YouTube sensation in South Africa via a reality show, right? The trick is that the reality show isn't on your TV. It's through the app that we developed for Celsius. It's called um, Celsius Reality is the name of the app. And in the app, you can click on the show name, Break the Net, and you can watch all the episodes. You can watch a leaderboard of all the contestants and how they're doing in real time. And the more views each contestant gets on their videos, uh, the, the higher up they get on the leaderboard. Cool. And so every crowdsource weeks, voting, right? Pretty much. But voting is views directly. Gotcha. The more views you get on your videos, specifically on YouTube, uh, the more... Uh, you, you you get points basically on your leaderboard, and uh, yeah, basically every second week contestants get tasks, so they get a challenge of of something they need to do in order to go viral, and and they need to upload a video of 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 something like that. So this week's challenge, for example, was you need to incorporate a celebrity in some way, shape, or form. Um, either find a celebrity on the street <laughs> and do something crazy with them, find a collaboration that you can do, or just get creative with, with, uh, with online content around celebrities. Cue influencer hijacking. Anything like that. I mean, we'll probably get a lot of complaints because of this task, but uh, you know, the contestants will, will put together a video with a task and they'll upload it and it'll be linked to the app. What happens <clears throat> if you win the thing? 
Well, basically, you become a Celsi ambassador. You get a heap load of money, and uh, you get you get resources to start your own YouTube channel. And by that point, you would have gotten so many views already that you'll have a huge head start in the game, basically, to to be the next YouTube guy. Um, and honestly, just take a look at the app. There's there's some really really great people there. I mean, they've they've got talent, you know. Is Casper on there? Casper uh, is not on there. He's already made it. <laughs> I think. I think it was a requirement not to have people over five thousand subscribers already. Okay. This, this is for the undiscovered. Yeah. Uh, so there's these are all people that nobody knows, uh, and a lot of them have great talent. I mean, this one guy. Okay, I don't, don't want to actually pitch for individual people. I don't think I yeah, can do yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah. take a look at the app. Uh, there's some really great people there. Good call. Good mm. call. Outside of C, when you look at brands. Um, in general, are there any other businesses that stand out for you in terms of getting the uh, content and social media marketing space right? Well, um, this year, this year we did the social media landscape report again, where we analysed all the top brand content, um, and there's some brands that, that stood out on every single platform. They've got the most engaging content on Facebook as well as Twitter, as well as YouTube and Instagram across the board. Um, and they, they managed to also link that content back to experiences of the actual brand, you know, in, in retail shops, uh, in store, that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, one of, one of the interesting companies that kept on popping up was, uh, Mercedes Benz, interestingly enough. Hmm. And they, one of their strategies is to, uplift their community they they empower their community by by connecting with advocates of the brand and influencers and, and purchasers of mercedes products and uh, resharing any content that is that is part of the community that's 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 going viral so anyone that that shares content about mercedes-benz for example uh, can be featured on the main mercedes-benz channels uh, and you know everybody likes their five minutes of fame. Everybody likes recognition. A lot of most brands actually don't do that. They they don't highlight their customers. They don't highlight their brand advocates at all. Yeah. Um, besides a couple of paid for influencers, you know. But these are customers. These yeah. these are actual paying clients. Yeah. Um, and and you see that a lot of the content that they post has a gotten some of the most engaging post of the year out of any brand and B is completely free from Mercedes because it's content from the customers that they've just yeah. reposted. That's one a very the, smart strategy. That's one of the biggest trends uh, mm. that I see out there is branded user-generated content. Correct. I think it's Minecraft that does a great job at that. If you go to their YouTube channel, it's all user-generated mm. content and how to basically play the game. Cost them nothing, yeah. but scales incredibly. Oh no, it's it's incredible. In fact, my, Minecraft itself has almost created a whole new industry in terms of uh, video game streaming. So a lot of people will play games and record it live streamed, and uh, and have people interact with the uh, with the games in real time. And Minecraft gamers are one of the first types of gamers to do that. Actually, it didn't really exist before. It's a new thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, whole new industries can be created from this, um, and we're seeing it happen this year. Uh, yeah, look, it's it's all about user-generated content because that's where you get the buzz. I mean, Celsius Reality as well, it's all... It's exactly that. You, you know, the, the users, the contestants are creating all your content. You just sit back, relax, and let them do the hard work for you, right? Uh, <laughs> but that's what that's where brands are going. And, uh, you know, you see this in, in a lot of the, the, the top posts. Um, Mercedes-Benz stands out the most. Um, there are a couple of others. Um, 
You know, off the top of my head, we, we saw a, a very interesting post by uh, Durex <laughs> of all brands. Um, and they leveraged a, a trend on social media, something to do with family day, right? Um, I think it's a bit not, not suitable for work, so I won't repeat it here. But basically, <laughs> there was a trend on family day. Um, and, you know, they, they basically made a post about, uh, about how, you know, a box of condoms is the only family you need, really. <laughs> um, yeah, but basically, that got, uh, a huge amount of retweets and shares. Uh, I think it was in the top five most retweeted brand posts of the year. No way. Um, and and they basically leveraged the trend that everybody was talking about. So basically, everybody capitalized on 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 this post by retweeting it, by sharing it, by engaging with it. Obviously, uh, it wasn't very very well received by a lot of people. Uh, but you know that's the risk you take sometimes as a brand if you want to kind of. Uh, you know, be a bit more risque in your in your type of content, but mm. that's that's how you that's how you get eyeballs basically at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So um, let's talk about this annual report that you put together about the South African social media space, and it's a report that you co-managed with Arthur Goldstuck, who's also been on the show, and so. I don't know when you're releasing it, the next one. Well, uh, the next one's next year, only in September. Oh. So so this one was quite recent. It was about two months ago. Alrighty. And yeah. what were some of the top line trends and insights that you saw there at a platform level? Well, for one, we, we found that uh, branded content um, has increased across the board in terms of uh, how much content brands are generating and how much engagement they're, they're, they're getting on the content. So across the board, posts from brands have, have gotten more likes, more shares, more comments than last year. Um, there's a lot more money going into, into content in, in terms of sponsoring it and promoting it. Um, and most of the ad budgets are, funnily enough, Facebook-oriented. I think 70 or 80% of, of the budgets are uh, directed or channeled towards Facebook and targeted at video, I imagine. Video is is, is quite a large player, but it's not it's not big yet. Uh, you know, because it's it's a reserve of only the biggest brands currently. You know, the brands that can create good quality production material and promote it. Uh, you know, the run of the mill coffee shops and normal SMEs and companies out there, which are the ones that contribute to the bulk of of, of ad spend. You know, because of their sheer volumes, they they're still doing normal posts. But we're getting there. We're getting to the level where video is going to be the dominant medium. Um, and indeed, we see that on people's timelines. I mean, video, you know, is almost the majority of your of your feed posts these yeah. days. Uh, but from a brand content perspective, we're not there yet. Uh, I think only five percent of of brand content is videos at this stage, which is quite I, big. I'm shocked by that. I would have expected it to be at at least half. No, the the thing is, it's much easier writing out a status than creating a video. So, mm. uh, you know, the five percent is actually quite a big figure if you think about it, because you know that means for 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 every hundred posts that you make, five will be videos, uh, and yeah, sure, ninety five will be text posts. But think of the the amount of time taken in in developing each type of content. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, brands are definitely looking at becoming multimedia experiences. You know, uh, they're exploring live streaming. They're exploring um, you know video solutions, audio solutions, anything to kind of keep the customers engaged in any way, shape, or form. Um, and, and yeah, I think there's a lot of startups uh, coming out uh, that, that will, will be tackling uh, this, this exact problem. You know, how, how can brands actually engage their customers better, even, yeah. even if there's, you know, this huge attention deficit dis- disorder, basically. Yeah. How much is uh, ad blocking going to fuck things up for us? 
It already has. Eh? A lot of publishers are struggling big time. They're, they're laying off jobs. They're doing anything in their power to automate their, their operations, you know, op- automate CMS, automate uh, content generation, even license content from third parties. Uh, so they basically become aggregators uh, just to reduce costs because – Honestly, I've, I, I run an ad blocker, I'll be honest. Um, I do whitelist certain sites that I believe you know, are deserving of, of, of the ad revenue. But most sites are such crap. Yeah. Um, and most ads are, are even worse. You know? mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm fundamentally against being served advertising that, that is not targeted towards me, uh, that has no relevance to my life, that, you know, that is even advertising based on products that I've already bought and I have no need for again. Mm. Uh, so the ad system is a bit broken currently. So publishers are kind of screwed right now. They're trying to do different, you know, well, they're solutions. scrambling, aren't they? They're scrambling. I mean, if, if you look at international publishers, a lot of them are even blocking ad blockers. So you are unable to view the content of the site if you have an ad blocker. Um, I don't know if this is actually getting people to whitelist those sites or if people just don't come back. So that user is lost permanently. Mm. Uh, but, you know, ideally publishers need to find other solutions. And I think a lot of publishers are going the content, the branded content route. Um, so, for example, they are minimizing the amount of ads on their sites in exchange for promoted content that that looks like real content, right? Advertorials. Um, you can call it advertorials, but but – Advertorials are often very, very blatantly pro the brand. Native um, advertising. Native advertising is is more along the lines, but it it becomes quite sneaky because mm-hmm. you know someone's paying for it, um, so it, it has to promote a business goal, but at the same time must add value to the end customer when they read the article. It can't just be uh, advertising the brand or product. Yeah, uh, and that's a very fine line that's that's being uh, walked right now. Cool. So. Let's move on to the final part of the interview. I usually tee this up as rapid-fire questions. Okay, sure. <laughs> but see how we go. See how we go. So um, if you could put your entrepreneurial journey or story onto a billboard, what would that billboard say? <laughs> um. <laughs> see, rapid-fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. That, you put me on the spot here. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of expletives right now. That's the problem. <laughs> That's cool. Can you censor me? Unscripted, uncensored. There we go. Um, yeah, I know. Like, holy shit, what a journey, basically. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Next one. Uh, what uh, three things are you not great at? Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm not great at uh, the finer details, at, at micromanaging stuff. Um, you know, I'm more of a, just a big picture kind of guy. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely not good at limiting my caffeine intake. Um, that's guilty. <laughs> three or four doubles a day. That's it's crazy. That's me. That's, that's awful. I, I need to fix that. Um, and yeah, look, I think, I think on a more serious note, my, my financial management, definitely, uh, you know, that's where a background in MBA would, would definitely serve me better. Uh, on the plus side, I've got a really great tax guy. Um, that, that I work with that sorts me out properly. Uh, but to all entrepreneurs out there, the, the number one thing you have to watch out for is your finances. Don't yeah. don't skimp on your on your tax payments. Don't skimp on um, you know your your cash flow management. Uh, that's one thing that I could improve on. Let's yeah. explore that piece a little bit more. All right. What do you look for? You know, take take my, myself for instance. What would I look for in a accountant slash tax advisor? Um, well, for one. 
uh, are they a judge on Shark Tank? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've had Vinny on the show, so yeah. <laughs> no, no, Minus actually. Minus, uh, he, he runs a great company called Bean Counter. I work with them actually. Oh, really? They, Is they that them? Fantastic. Not to pitch them, but. Uh, shameless. Absolutely yeah. <laughs> shameless. <laughs> he is on Shark Tank, though. He's, he's awesome. You're um, going to have to connect me to him, by the way. Yeah, no problem, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's, a, he's a brilliant guy. So, okay, so, so basically, what I liked about Bean Counter, for example, is that uh, Manus and I met um, after I did an inquiry with, with their company. I did obviously some background research, uh, you know, how many years they've been in business, how many happy clients they have, a couple of referrals. Uh, but I met with Manus directly. Uh, he'd, he'd never met me before. We sat down for coffee and he pulled out a MacBook Air with a, <laughs> uh, with a wooden cover, like one of those hipster yes. wooden covers. And yeah. I'm like, is this guy an accountant or what, what is going on here? <laughs> is he, <laughs> he looks more, he, he looks more like a, like one of those Silicon Valley tech entrepreneur types, you know? <laughs> um, but no, he's a fully qualified accountant. And, you know, what, what was amazing was just how, 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 how different he was. He was a complete breath of fresh air in terms of his perspective on business, um, in terms of the way he thinks about things. And, you know, that's, that, that, those are the kind of values that align with me and my businesses. And, you know, for any partner you choose on any level, not only accounting, they have to be on that level. You know, do, do they share your values and your perspectives? Mm. And I immediately got that sense from him. That's great advice. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's not just a do that, that does your taxes. It's, you know, if, you, if you're looking to take your businesses to the next level, you, you need a, a partner that really understands you and you know, thinks the way you think in terms of, of broader strategy, broader goals. Do you still meet with him? Yeah. yeah and how much influence does he have over your decision-making? Well, I, he's incredibly smart in all the ways I'm not. Um, so that's I, probably the best quality to look for. Yeah, f- absolutely. And you know, all, all all my partners have those sort of qualities. You know, in, in the things that I lack in in, in terms of business. Um, and like I said, you know, financial management it's not one of my strong points. So when it comes to you know setting up trusts and multiple businesses onshore, offshore, I don't know the first thing about that really. But I've got quality partners that that help me with things like that. And awesome. Yeah. Um, at, at the end of the day, it's it's about that. You can't. Do it on your own. No man's an island, right? Absolutely. Mm. I actually used that phrase recently. No, I said no entrepreneur is an island. (laughs) Well, it's true. (laughs) It's absolutely true, which is why your network is so important. Yeah, totally. And, you know, what I've learned about networking is that you should ideally go for as many coffees as you possibly can in a month with Mm. people. Just go out there and cold call them if you have to. And, you know, if it's people that you know from high school that that are doing some interesting stuff now, call them up for a coffee or a beer after work and just make sure to meet them regularly because even if there's absolutely nothing that that comes out of it, you never know what will happen down the line. Like when when Aresti and I first met, I had no idea that he'd buy my business two or three years down the line, you know, but we just met and we shot the shit. You know, literally for, for a couple of hours and we met a couple of times after that. Um, and at the end of the day, that, that is like a, a simple underrated strategy that every entrepreneur can use because mm-hmm. it's basically free except for the price of a coffee. And who doesn't like, you know, interesting debates and conversations over coffee? You know, it's, you know, b- 
basically everybody I've contacted has has, has uh, said yes yeah. to a free coffee. Um, and you know it makes things interesting, and you also have the benefit of of knowing what's going on. You know, the more people you meet in the industry, uh, everyone has their little perspective on what's going on, and eventually you form a big picture on okay, this is what's really happening, yeah. and these are the opportunities, and this is who I can work with, when I can work with them, how I can work with them. Um, you know, it's a simple advice, but at the end of the day, business is actually quite simple. You just have to slog it out and actually do it. That's the tough yeah. part. In my experience, most of the biggest deals I've ever done has always been face to face. Yeah. Always, without exception. Yeah. But have you found that your, your biggest deals have been uh, from people you have just met or from people that you've known for many years before then? Um, the trust is important. And mm. I think the length of standing of that relationship has, has contributed quite a lot. Mm. Uh, I don't think you do massive deals with people you've just met. Generally, it's kind of weighted the other way. Yeah. Yeah, especially in Africa. You know, in, in Africa, business is done a little bit differently. I think in America, people are more off the cuff, and they're more um, they're more risk savvy in, in terms of just going into deals without worrying too much, um, and they're willing to take bigger risks. But in Africa, you know, you, you often need to know people for many years. I've noticed, especially outside of South Africa. You know, I've I've, I've gone into places like uh, Kenya and Tanzania, and Business there is extremely difficult. You know, it's 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 completely different to how you did it in South Africa. You know, and relationships are key. And yeah. often, you know, you, you'll have to take the guard for many, many dinners over many years before you cleanse that first big deal. That's yep. the thing. That's true. The Chinese are like that as well. Mm. Uh, we, um, I've got a, a business I'm trying to get off the ground at the moment, and it's all about the recycling of plastic. Mm. Uh, it's called Pyrofuels, and there's a Chinese plant manufacturer that has got like a generation seven plant and we flew them over to South Africa. And so I'd never engaged with the Chinese ever, ever, you know, and in that kind of situation. And so we did a whole bunch of research before they arrived. And one of the things that really jumped for us as a team was, uh, was that you can't touch them at all. Like you don't even shake their hands. You must have a gift. And he gave us this little box, right? right. And inside that box was some tea. And we, we didn't know, like, we didn't think much. I was like, tea, that's weird, you know? Um, <laughs> and then we Googled it. You know how much a 50 gram uh, set of that tea is worth? Mm-hmm. 300 pounds. Wow. Okay. They are like so hectic as tea connoisseurs. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. But it's those little. They, col- they treat it like we treat whiskey, probably. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And it's those, I suppose it's that understanding of the little cultural nuances that really do kind of add up. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, and and you have to you have to be respectful of that. I mean, you know, I, I come from Poland originally. I was born in Poland, and we we Polish people and the Russians, you know, we just we have a piss up before a big business deal. It's <laughs> it's not a huge tradition in South Africa, but uh, typically over a bottle of vodka, uh-huh. you get to know someone, uh, and you get to know them very well if you share a bottle. <laughs> uh, and by that point, you know if you can trust them or not. You know. Yeah. Um, here, you know, we. We slap some meat on the briar. We have a good time. Uh, we might go on the golf range now and then. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's a bit more conservative here in South Africa. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll take you up on that vodka drinking uh, scenario anytime. Let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So what keeps you up at night? Yeah, look, it's, it's for me um, – what keeps me up at night is always what is coming next. You know, I think so much about the future. I'm, I'm a bit of a futurist. You know, I read all the all the blogs on, you know, what, what's what's happening next, what's coming next in terms of tech and uh, politics, especially. Uh, so, 
I suppose global instability is something that really concerns me. You know, what, what's happening in business and politics, the whole world is changing. And, you know, I don't really know how sustainable the current model of capitalism really is. Mm. Uh, and w nobody really knows. You know, it's, uh, I think the markets have become extremely unpredictable. So even the best economists out there can't tell you where we'll be in a year or two. Uh, so it, it does worry me because in terms of business, you know, where, where do you put your time and your effort and your money? Because um, all these are, are, are resources that have limits, you know, um, and you, you don't want to waste five years on something, you know. So, so basically, uh, it's very important that when you go into business, you have to plan for the long term, but also realize that the markets change all the time. So your plans always have to be evolving over what's happening. So... You know, I always stay abreast of the market in terms of researching the latest trends and what's going on in other businesses, in other industries, in other markets. Um, and yeah, that, it does worry me. It's, sometimes I feel like I should just disconnect, actually, because like this whole Trump-Clinton yeah. debacle, I mean, it's, it's almost ridiculous, right? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's important. Uh, you know, it's important for us here at home. It, it will affect us materially, uh, no matter who becomes president. Mm. Um, and, you know, if, if you're an entrepreneur, you need to know what's, what's going on and how it affects your business. Mm. Um, you know, whether you're in import or export or, you know, me in, in terms of tech and online stuff, uh, even indirectly, it, it, it will have an impact on the bottom line. Um, and it's important to stay, stay focused and current on that. Awesome. When you hear the word successful, who do you think of and why? Um, I'd like to say Elon Musk, but the more I read about him, the more I realize he's, he's, he's quite deranged. <laughs> what? He, he's one of the smartest guys on the planet, yeah. uh, but he, he's got... the this unstable fire in him that will, you know, that will enable us to conquer other planets, but it's completely uh, unbalanced. That's the thing. But, you know, that's what you need to operate at that level. It's, yeah. uh, it's impossible to be a normal human being. Uh, so as much as I respect Elon and he's, he's one of my sort of business mentors, I'd like to think, he, yeah. you know, he's, he's a potential mentor one day. Uh, I've read his books. Uh, he's not the epitome of success to me. He's, you know, financially maybe, uh, but, for me, you have to be successful in life. And for me, that's Richard Branson. Uh, you know, he, he's, got, he, he's got his private island. He travels a lot. He does a lot of community initiatives, even in South Africa. He's made a lot of money. He's got, he's got a fantastic set of stories behind him. Mm. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, all you have to do is really look at the wrinkles, right? <laughs> at, at that age, we all get the wrinkles we deserve. So look at his face. You can see it's a man that's, that's had some trying times, but overall, he's got a happy life. You know? And I think that's success. You, know? yeah. you, you go to bed every night and you're at peace with what you've done in the world. Yeah. That's important. Awesome. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah. when you hear the word punchable, you can't say Trump. Who comes to mind? <laughs> Martin Shkreli. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell's that? Oh, uh, man. He, he's the guy that uh, bought that pharmaceutical company that manufactured that, that drug, uh, I think, for HIV. Uh, and he uh, pumped up the price 5,000%. Wanker. Uh, he's a bastard, yeah. Oh. And, uh, yeah, look, he, he's got a he's punchable dead. face as well. That's yeah. the thing. He's, he's that perfect He was so arrogant storm. about it, wasn't he? He was almost like he really was, sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. He really was. I think he's a, just a, a classic sociopath. He has no emotions, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, and he's got that punchable face. So <laughs> perfect combination there. Cool. So last couple of questions for you. Uh, what problem do you face every day that nobody else has solved yet? I suppose I, suppose I wake up every morning with an idea that I want to go to gym. <laughs> and I want to feel motivated and I, I end up – Always saying no. Tomorrow's the next day, um, so I, I don't gym as much as I want to. Um, I, I think if we could invent a way to to motivate people, 
um, and to keep them motivated for anything they want to do. Um, that is, that would be a game changer, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I think too many people procrastinate, and mainly because we're bogged down with so much stuff. You know, there's fifty thousand things we have to do every single day. Yeah. But. Every morning I wake up and that's, that's my failing. Like <laughs> I'd love to gym like three, four times a week. I don't quite make it. Hey? Yeah. No, I'm the same. I'm the same, but it's true. I mean, you got to choose, I suppose it's that value system, right? So hmm. business always comes first and that's the trade off. Yeah. As long as you, I suppose gym is probably the one thing I'd happily trade off, but not hmm. your relationships with your family and your true. partners and that kind of, those, those are the things you have to put first. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, don't discount your health because you know, we're still young, but it's going to catch up when or 50 and 60 so you, you want to respect your body for, for as long as you can right yeah yeah. Um, so keep drinking that vodka <laughs> <laughs> it keeps you young right yeah <laughs> um, yeah no it keeps you warm in those cold Polish winters you don't really need it down here uh, but no. yeah that's another story awesome <laughs> so last question for you mate and I'll let you go um, what's your why as an entrepreneur what gets you out of bed in the morning what's my why um, so so basically, I feel that my purpose is to is to help others, right, um, and to uplift other people's lives uh, through the use of technology. I mean, the, my game is tech. I I got my first computer at the age of five. Started programming at the age of ten. Uh, so I'm all about tech, and that's pretty much going to be the focus of my life. Uh, but the question isn't, you know, how many cool apps can I build? The question is, how can I make people's lives better through the use of technology? Uh, and that's, that's my why, actually. You know, for the rest of my life, everything will be focused around that. You know, I'm, I may change industries and explore different alternatives, but I, I think it's a good focus to have, you know, overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, amazing, amazing uh, purpose there. I wanted to ask you one more thing. What's the difference in your view between living your purpose and living your passion? Or are you, in your view, doing both? Hmm. Well... Yeah, passion is a bit more emotional, isn't it? Mm. Um, but you need you need a bit of both. You know, purpose gives you kind of direction. Uh, passion kind of gives you thrust, so to speak. Um, and you need you need a bit of both, I suppose. Um, you know, ideally you want to be an, a, aligned with 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 purpose and passion, but it's it's difficult finding what that is for for, for each person. Um, but you're there. Uh, I'd, I'd like to think that I'm getting there. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult journey because, you know, every, every day you wake up and you don't know what to expect. Every day brings new challenges. Uh, you know, an email can come around that'll change my life tomorrow. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that's probably the same for almost anybody out there. Uh, so, every, so you need to be open to, to what the universe brings or what God brings, you know, whatever your affiliation is. But, you know, there's things that pop up that you need to be receptive of. Um, and you need to be open enough to be able to amend that purpose and passion. If, if something resonates with you, uh, uh, and it might, it might be like a tickle. It might be something at the back of your mind that you haven't really thought about in a while, but secretly maybe that's your real passion. That's what you really need to do. Uh, but every now and then it'll come up, you know, cool. I think, I think the key point to all of that before purpose and passion is self-awareness and self-awareness. Uh, obviously we, we can speak for days about this, but yeah. through things like meditation, uh, yoga, you know, retreats in nature, that sort of thing, you develop self-awareness. And what happens is through your interactions in daily life with people, um, you know, with circumstances, you, you begin to know those, those little quirks that, that happen during the day. 
that that give you hints into what your purpose and your passion actually is. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and a lot of people are, are closed off to that. I've I've noticed. You know, and you know they they do the daily grind and they do their thing because it's what they've done for a long time. But I think you got to listen to that inner voice and 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 really listen. Um, have some quiet time out now and then. You know, figure out. You know what what. What does your inner voice say when there's absolutely no sound around, no people, nothing for, for those five, ten minutes? And, and sometimes it can be quite loud and it can give you a lot of interesting insight. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where I get my purpose and my passion from. You know, I listen to my inner voice, my higher self, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I let that sort of guide me in, in a sense. And uh, I, I think I'm doing okay, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. Awesome. Let's check back in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> Six months. You're coming back. <laughs> All right. Bring it on. I'm in. Cool. Mike, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor to get to know you a bit better. And I just want to say thank you so much for, for making yourself available. I know your time's very precious to you. And yeah, it's been uh, incredible. And I wish you all the very best for what's about to come, I guess. All right. Thanks. Thanks very much, man. And I uh, look forward to coming back on the show, hopefully. No, you will do. You will do. <laughs> we'll bring Vincent in. Vincent, we, hopefully you watch, you're listening, mate. <laughs> cool, buddy. All right. Thanks, Take man. This is just a quick message to all of you who have not yet gone to digitalkungfu.co.za to register and sign up to join the Digital Kung Fu community. If you do that right now, I will send you some free training. It's uh, some stuff I've developed specifically for entrepreneurs and business owners. Uh, I like to kill my subscribers with kindness, so to speak. Um, But yeah, the main reason is it gives me a way to communicate with you and to get to know you personally a bit better. So if you haven't done so, please do that now. And so until next time, remember that the Digital Kung Fu Show is now on iTunes. So head on over there now and leave us a review. You can also catch the Digital Kung Fu Show on player.fm, Stitcher and cliffcentral.com. Thanks for listening to the Digital Kung Fu Show. If you'd like to check out more episodes and get access to our growing community of entrepreneurs working together to succeed in business, then please visit our website at www.digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients haiku went from a two percent share of voice globally to an 11 percent share of voice globally in only seven days if you'd like more information head on over to showworksmedia.com for more that is showworks with an x.com